following audio is from Covenant Life Fellowship. For more information about our church and to stay up to date on all sermons, events, and news, please visit our website at www.clfroseburg.com. If you have your Bibles, please go with me to the book of John, chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 27 through 42 this morning. Now, as you get there, let me just say a couple things as a means of introduction. First, if you don't know me, my name is Luis, and I have the great joy of sharing God's word with you uh, today. Second, how awesome was it to celebrate 20 years of God's faithfulness last weekend? Wasn't that a good Sunday? Yeah. God has been very kind to our church, and, and like we said last Sunday over and over again, and throughout the years, uh, not to us, Lord, but to your name be the glory. May that be the desire of our hearts for the next 20, 40 years as a church. Finally, uh, two weeks ago, Pastor Dave started a series through the Great Commission. And Pastor Dave walked us through Jesus' last words to his disciples, where he commissioned them by his power and in his authority to go make more disciples. And he promised that he would be with them as they did this. Now, church, this also is our mission as Jesus followers, like uh, Pastor Dave Quilla talked about. We are disciples who make disciples. We are disciple-making disciples, starting in our living rooms, down to the end of our streets, and into the ends of the world. Now, this morning, we're going to continue our series in the Great Commission by looking at a very familiar story in the book of John, which is the story of Jesus and the woman at the well. Now, before we read our text, let me just quickly bring you up to speed to where we will pick up the story and then we'll dive into John chapter 4. Okay, so in our text, Jesus is traveling from Judea to Galilee, and in that time there were two ways to make this trip. One of these, one of those ways was the long way around the land of Samaria, which was sandwiched in between Galilee and Judea. And the other way was the shorter way was just to go straight through the land of Samaria. Now, to put it gently, Jews and Samaritans did not get along. So whenever a Jew had to make this trip, they would always choose to go the long way around. Now, the feud between uh, Samaritans and Jews was intense, to say the least. And I, I wish I could give you the whole background as to why. But just, but just picture the hatred between Serbs and Muslims in modern Bosnia, or the enmity between Catholics and Protestants in Northern Ireland, or feuding gangs in Los Angeles. This is the relationship you have between Jews and Samaritans. They did not mix well. But when Jesus has to make this trip, instead of going around the land of Samaria, like everybody did, he chooses to go straight through. And the reason is, or the question is, why? Well, Jesus had this providential appointment scheduled with this woman from Samaria. This is a woman who is in deep shame. She is living in adultery, and she is living in deep, dark sin, which 
It's not very different than many of us when Jesus met us. And what we see in this story is Jesus engaging this woman in, in revealing to her who he is, which then totally transforms this gal's life. And that is where we pick up our story. You guys with me still? Okay, so if you can, stand and let's read our text. This is John 4. We're going to look at verse, start in verse 27. We're going to look through verse 42. So this is the reading of God's word. Verse 27. Just then, his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor." Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Let's pray one more time. Lord, we thank you for your word. Empower the preaching of your word. Help us to see and hear uh, Jesus clearly. Meet your people through your words, Lord. Do the work that only you can do. Bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, for those of you who take notes, uh, the title for my sermon is Evangelism and the Great Commission. But I could really just simplify that title to one word, and that word is witness. And here is why. If you look at verse 39 in your text, it says this, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Now, the Greek word there translated testimony is the same word often translated witness, to bear witness, or to give testimony to. So this is a text. This is a story about witnessing and evangelism. Now, as soon as I say that, Some of you get the spiritual hives. A sermon on prayer is convicting. Sermons on holiness are discouraging. Sermons on tithing are annoying. But it's hard to have anything worse than a sermon on witnessing. You guys are going to think that we're going to leave today and we're going to feel all bad in that we have to go and twist people's arms and sell something and always be closing. Well, that's not where we're going today. So everybody take a deep breath and relax. You know, I listened to a podcast this week about 
fundamentalism in America in the early part of the 20th century. In the podcast, told this story about these students at a Christian college who were evaluated weekly on their Christian work. They had to log conversions in a weekly report card. They had to keep track of the demographic information of each evangelistic target. Time spent in conversation, difficulties that arose in the result of each encounter. Statistics were kept meticulously and they had a weekly review with a mentor who would evaluate them. And sometimes it was deemed that some of these students just were not cut out for Christian work. I learned then that that these stats were then uh, passed to the college list of donors and alumni, and that this was used as a fundraising appeal. Now, on the, on, the, on one hand, we commend the evangelistic seal. Right. As D.L. Moody said, I like my way of doing evangelism better than your way of not doing evangelism. There really is something to be said, simply that these students were, were getting out and sharing the gospel with people. At, at the same time, and, and I saw it in your face, I think we all naturally cringe and I, and I, and I hope we would at this sort of bureaucratic sales-like approach to evangelism. Truth is, there are many reasons why bearing witness about Jesus could be difficult. And one of them is, I think, we often have the wrong idea about what witnessing evangelism is all about. Well, our, our text this morning is going to point us in a different direction. And, and all I want to do this morning is, is simply share with you three things about evangelism, bearing witness, and testifying about Jesus. Three things. Now, the first thing is this. Evangelism doesn't have to be complicated. Look with me at verse 27 in our text. The disciples had, had gone into town to look for food. You can see that in verse 8, and they are now coming back. So verse 27, the disciples finally come back to Jesus, and they are amazed to find Jesus in this conversation with this woman. There are some records that some rabbis around that time said that to talk to a woman, even your wife, was considered a distraction. There was, there was no place to, to be talking to, to women, let alone that he's talking to, to a Samaritan woman and a sinner. She was this, this notorious woman and her infamy, her fame probably followed her. People around that region would have known her and talked about how many husbands she had gone through and, and they would know that the guy that she was now shacking up with was not her husband. And here we find Jesus in the heat of the day, alone at a well, talking to this gal. Now here's a very simple principle. If, if we are going to ever get to share the gospel with people who don't know Jesus, you first have to be around people who don't know Jesus. And, and we are to engage them in ordinary life and, and get to know them and, and, and have normal conversation and ask good questions and, and listen to them and really care. Now, there is an art to asking questions. So a great tool that has helped me in this Art of question asking is the acronym FORM, F-O-R-M. 
If you ever wonder what questions you can ask people, think. Ask about their family, F. Ask about their occupation, the O. Ask about whatever they do for recreation, and then pray for opportunities to share the message for them of Jesus, which is that God, through Jesus, saves sinners. So in order to share the gospel with non-Christians, we have to engage people who do not know Jesus. Now back to the text here with me. The disciples show up, and John records in verse 27 that they are stunned to find Jesus in conversation with this gal, and, and they don't know what to say or how to react, so they don't say or ask anything. Some people have tried to over-spiritualize this and say that this is the disciples learning to put such great trust in the Master that they dare not question His methods, but I don't think so. I think this is the disciples waiting for the woman to leave so they can then ask all their questions. Or maybe they're just thinking to themselves, well, well, this is awkward. And, and they're probably just sitting there, as many of us would do, looking very piously on the outside while silently judging on the inside. And then the woman, in verse 28, she, she leaves in a hurry. She just takes off. So this woman comes to the well to get a drink in the heat of the day when most people wouldn't come, and she comes by herself when when those that did come would have come with someone or in a group. And so we we can tell that she is she's a loner and she's she's there to get water to bring back for loved ones, for this man that she's with, for herself, for the week, for the day. And now she she leaves in a hurry and she leaves behind the very purpose of her trip. And the question is why? Well, this woman is, is so overcome. She is so overwhelmed by this encounter with this man, this, this Jewish man, this man who she is beginning to think is much more than just a man, that she leaves behind her bucket and she runs right back into town. This, this gal simply cannot help but share what's happened to her. And don't miss what she says in verse 29. If you have a pencil, you can, you can underline that. She says this, two words, come, see. This phrase happens three times in the Gospel of John. In John 1.38, Jesus calls the disciples and says this, Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi where are you staying? And he said to them, Come, and you will see. In chapter 1, verse 46, Nathanael says to Philip, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come, see. And now for the third time we have this simple phrase, Come, see. And the point is that, that, that bearing witness, that evangelism does not have to be complicated. Sometimes it, it can start with something simple as this. Would you come to church with me some Sunday? I just want you to see what I'm seeing, hear what I'm hearing, learn what I'm learning. Or it can start with, with would you ever want to come to my Bible study or my small group? Honestly, almost every person in this room you have a friend, a, a co-worker, a family member, and you can say to them, would you ever want to read the Bible with me over a meal? I'll buy. 
And, and you may be thinking, well, I wouldn't know what to do. I wouldn't know how to, how to disciple somebody. And I, have, I haven't had all the training, and I've never been to seminary. Well, many of us have been to church for, for years and years and years and years. Truth is, is that we, you, you know the Bible better than someone that's never read it before. And, and, and you know what you could do? Worst case scenario? You can say to someone, that's a great question. I'm not sure. But I'm sure that I can ask somebody this week and I'll get back to you. Or, or, I'm not sure. I'll look it up and I'll get back to you. Or, even better, let's find this answer together. But evangelism, does not have to be complicated. It, it can simply start with a little invitation like, come, see. This woman does this amazing job of sharing what has just happened to her. And, and you could be thinking, well, yes, she has something pretty incredible to share. Okay? It would be way easier if, if I had just met somebody who's telling me all sorts of things that I that nobody ever knew and was clearly a prophet, and, and then I would run back into town and say, everybody, I got to tell you who I met today. I get it. She has somebody really, she, she had an incredible experience and something very amazing to share. But here's the truth, church. So do you. All of us have something Incredible to share. Isn't the gospel amazing? The gospel is incredible. Can't you too say to someone, come, see, I want you to meet somebody who knows me better than I know myself. It's the same Jesus. He knew her. He knows you. Now, now this lady, this woman, is not quite convinced about Jesus yet. She says in verse 29, Can this be the Christ? This is a, a hesitant question. She's not yet sure about Jesus. This is not a ringing endorsement yet. Can this be the Christ? She asks. Spoiler alert, it is. She just doesn't know it quite yet. But this question is like, could it be? Is this the one? But what you do see here in the text is that this woman is leaning in and she is moving in the right direction. Which here is a principle for us as well. When you are engaged in in gospel conversation with, with somebody, some people will keep you kind of at arm's length and, 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 and keep you there. There are others who will lean in. And, and, and you gotta pray for, for discernment to distinguish between those two responses. And when somebody leans in with curiosity, you should also lean right back in. And we see that here in the text. This lady has all kinds of questions. And Jesus leans in and answers every single question that she has. Look at how the woman leans in. When you first meet her in the text, she is rather standoffish. Look at verse 9. She asks this question to Jesus. What are you, a Jew, doing talking to me, a woman from Samaria? Now, if someone asked me, what are you doing talking to me? 
that's not a uh, invitation to keep on talking, is it? <laughs> I'd be like nothing, and I'd walk away. But Jesus leans in. Then she's sort of incredulous. Where did you get this water? You don't even have a bucket. What are you doing here? Verse 11. Then in verse 17, she's she's uncomfortable. Uh, uh, bring my husband. I, I don't have a husband. Then then she's moving to openness. Well, you're clearly a prophet. So tell me, which mountain am I supposed to worship at? Is it Mount Gerizim or is it Mount Jerusalem? In verses 19 and 20. And then she's she's probing. Verse 25. Are you the Messiah? Because I know that when Messiah comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus says to her, I who speak to you, am he. And now, she's at the point of almost believing, can this be the Christ? So this guy is, is on the right trajectory. And often when you talk to people, that's what you're going to see. It's not very often that it's like, okay, never thought of that? Jesus, yes, I'm a sinner, sign me up. Got some offering envelopes? I'm ready to go. That doesn't happen. That doesn't usually happen. That's not how it works. It's a process. It takes time and relationship. It's not just one conversation. It's many conversations. It's you following up and and continuing to ask questions and engage in relationship. Now look at what happens with me in verse 30. They went out of the town and were coming to him. This is the townspeople. This is quite an effective witness. This lady has not received a whole lot of training. She's not an expert in very very many things. But she knows that the man that she has just met is not an ordinary man. And so she runs into town and she says, come, see. And people come. Despite her past, or maybe because of it, Now, some of you may think, well, Luis, my past is what disqualifies me. Nobody would listen to me. Nobody would want to hear about this because they know who I am. They know what I've been. They know what I've done. Well, maybe that is the very thing that will draw people in because they they do know what you've been like. And they do know where you've been and what you've done. And now they will have the opportunity to see and hear about God at work in your life and how the gospel has affected you and transformed you. Listen, you are just a normal person and you love and follow Jesus. If people know something about you, my prayer is that they would say, well, I don't know why, but something is different about you. Something has changed. And I pray that, that you would be able to tell them how Jesus saved you, forgave you, and is transforming you. This woman, maybe they're not ignoring her. Maybe they're particularly drawn to her because of her past. And notice what she doesn't do. This lady does not set up on a street corner with a megaphone. What she does is this lady simply goes back to the people that were her natural associates and in her daily sphere of influence and shares Jesus with them. These were her people. These people knew her. They saw her daily. 
she goes back to Samaria and she, she goes there and she says to them, come, see, meet this man who has told me everything I ever did. And my point is this. Evangelism works best and most naturally when you do what she did. Yes, there is a place for the cold call, call evangelism. But evangelism is often best and most effective when you go back to the people that you already know and already know you. We saw that with Dave's impromptu survey. Family members, friends, co-workers. This is also why, why recent converts are quite often the most effective evangelists. Because you get one person and they go back and tell their friends and their people. It becomes much more difficult the longer you've been in the church for years and years and decades and decades. Our contact with non-Christians becomes less and less and we must really be intentional about how we are going to meet folks, not look for excuses. So if you are a, a newer Christian, you don't have to say, well, let me wait five years and then I'll start talking to people about Jesus. Sure. You may have some stuff to learn. You must grow. You may have to be trained, but go tell people now. This woman met Jesus and immediately ran into town and said, come, you gotta see. I'm not even quite sure who this man is, but you have to meet him. And if you've been walking with the Lord for years and years and years, consider who might be in your normal sphere of influence who already does not know Jesus. And the principle is this, evangelism won't just happen for most of us. We have to be intentional. Well, let me just share quickly one way in how I am trying to be intentional in my daily life. I work remotely. I work from home. I don't have like a cubicle uh, co-workers. It's me and my dog all day long. Okay. And so one way that I've been trying to be intentional about how to share the gospel with people around my house is rather than just simply uh, let my dog out to go use the restroom in my backyard, I've, I've chosen every few hours to walk up the street and walk down the street. And that has given me opportunity after opportunity to meet different neighbors around my house. Now, there's a picture here that hopefully we can share. Every time I meet a new neighbor, I write their name on this little magnet we have in my fridge. And all these names that are here represented literally have met them because I walked my dog up the street and down the street and then continued to work. This magnet came from a, 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 a book called The Art of Neighboring. Very simple book. If you can, you can go get it. But this is me being intentional. Now I can tell you where where my, my neighbor Cole lives or my neighbor Scott or my neighbor uh, Kurt. I can tell you uh, what is their house. We talk about my dog, their dog, their yard, the, whatever. But we are in relationship now. Because I know that if I just stay in my desk and work, 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 I'm never going to be, I'm not going to meet my neighbors when they're out and about. 
So this is me knowing I have to be intentional so I can share the gospel with my neighbors around my house. But this is how I'm doing it. There's a billion ways how you can do it. You can coach youth sports. Uh, parents, hang around your kids' practices. Um, uh, join the YMCA. Go to a gym. There's lots and lots of ways. But the point is this. You must be intentional if you want to have relationship with people who do not know Jesus. Intentionality is key. Are you with me still? All right. Bottom line is this. Do you feel like you have something amazing to share? I hope you do. The gospel is amazing. You do have something incredible to share, and his name is Jesus. Here is a fact. All of us are natural evangelists, the things and the people that we love the most. Any grandparents in the church? Anybody ever make the mistake of asking a grandparent, hey, tell me about your grandkids. Here is the answer that you're going to get. I would love to. That is the whole reason I learned how to use an iPhone. I have, oh, 23,000 pictures. You got a minute? You do not have to twist somebody's arms to get them to talk about their kids or their grandkids. They'll tell you what they're doing in sports. They'll tell you the funny thing they did this morning. They'll show you cute pictures because they love their kids. They love their grandkids. They're excited about them, so it's not hard for them to talk about the things they love. Or you go to some restaurant that you love, and you come back and you say, hey, listen, you got to try the carne asada tacos. Not the fake ground beef ones, the carne asada ones. And because you love X, Y, or Z... You tell people about it. And I get it. Telling people about Jesus is different than telling people about your kids or tacos or sports. But the same principle is there at heart. You talk about what you're excited about. You talk about what you're passionate about. You talk about what you love. In church, don't we all love Jesus? So again, it doesn't have to be complicated. Come. I'd love for you to meet Jesus like I know Jesus. Now here's the second point. Evangelism does not have to look successful. Look at verse 35. Jesus begins to talk about sowing and reaping, and here is the point that Jesus is making. There is usually... A delay between the sowing and the reaping. That is what Jesus is getting at. Look at the text. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? This is apparently a a little proverb or saying that they had. They would sow, then four months later they would reap. And they had this phrase, isn't it four months until the harvest? And the point is that there was this, this gap. You don't sow and reap at the same time. You sow, then four months later, you reap. And Jesus makes the same point in verse 37. Another saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. So it happens at different times, and it's different people. You have one who sows, and then four months later, you have one who reaps. And the point is simply that there is usually a delay between the two. 
And anyone who's ever been around farming understands that. You're going to be vastly disappointed as a farmer if you go out on a spring morning to break up the ground, put the corn seed in the dirt, and then wait a few hours expecting to have corn on the cob that afternoon. It's not going to happen. You understand it's going to take some time. You're going to need sunshine. You're going to need rain. You're going to need some fertilizer. You're going to need to watch this thing grow. And there is this gap between the sowing and the reaping. But something unique was happening here in our text. In this particular moment in salvation history, with the inbreaking of the kingdom, there was a unique opportunity for this unprecedented harvest. And that's what Jesus says in verse 35. The fields are white unto harvest. And Jesus probably looked out into the countryside right in front of him and and said, just like you see, that field is white and ready for reaping. So these people are ready to be brought into the kingdom. He then says in verse 36, already the one who reaps is receiving wages, gathering fruit for eternal life. So the reaper was already busy at work, and the harvester was already bringing in the crop. The sower and the reaper, second half of verse 36, rejoice together. So think about this image. Things right here were happening so quickly. In this particular moment, so miraculously, so amazingly, that the sower was sowing seed and the reaper was bringing in the harvest at the same time and they were rejoicing together. No delay, no no four months. They're just meeting each other in the field. I'm doing the sowing. You're doing the reaping. It's happening at the same time because God has given us this incredible harvest of faith. Jesus then says to the disciples, that they can now reap what they did not sow, and that they are entering into the labor of another. Look at verse 38. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Now, we're not exactly sure who the other is, or even if we're meant to know. Is Jesus talking about himself, or the Samaritan woman, or the prophets of old? We're not sure. But Jesus' point is that the disciples are going to see more than they deserve to see. They were entering into a field that had been sown, and now they are going to reap. So keep this in mind. If in your life you see some great spiritual success, perhaps God has used you. But there have been many other people that God has used along the way. No occasion for any of us to pat ourselves on the back. Any spiritual success is representative of moms and dads who shared the gospel, and grandmas and grandpas who prayed, and college ministers who knocked on dorm rooms and shared the gospel when they were nervous, but they did it anyway. And it's faithful Sunday school teachers, and it's faithful preachers preparing sermons week after week, and it's a friend who invited somebody to youth group, and it's an aunt and uncle who took somebody on a mission trip, and it's an R.C. Sproul book, or it's a Bible study. It's 10,000 different things, and we get to reap. And so we need to keep this in mind whenever you see, perhaps, Success in your sphere of ministry as a parent, as a disciple maker in the business world, as a church leader. Whatever sort of success you may see is because many people have put their hand to the plow. 
And what Jesus was getting at is that this was a unique moment in redemptive history. The sower and the reaper meeting each other in the field. But here's the point I want you to see. Because you may be thinking, Luis, everything you've said literally sounds the opposite of the point you were trying to make, which is that evangelism does not have to look like success. But that really is the implication here. Because Jesus says that normally, in the harvest, there is a four-month delay. Normally, in farming, there is a sower, a gap, and then there is a reaper. But this particular moment here with the Samaritans was different. It was wide on the harvest. And so the sowing and the reaping was, was happening at the same time. But the implication is that this is not normally how things usually work. We know this from elsewhere in the Bible. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6, some plant, some water. God gives the growth. Or Jesus himself in Mark 4, when he shares the parables of the kingdom, he tells the parable of the sower and the soil. And some seed falls out and some of it grows up for a little bit and and it gets washed away and some of it gets picked up by the birds and some of it gets choked out and some of it, in time, bears fruit. But here's the point. You must wait. And he tells the parable of the farmer who sows the seed. And he goes to sleep night and day. And then lo and behold, at the end of time, there is this harvest that nobody could imagine. Or the parable of the mustard seed, which is the smallest and then becomes this towering tree. All of these parables are to indicate that what you see at the end, you may never see at the beginning. There's a delay. There's a gap. This all is to remind us that witnessing now often looks like a waste. You may never see in this life all the good that your sowing has done. Anybody ever seen the movie Finding Nemo? Remember Dory? Just keep swimming, just keep swimming. Well, the word that God has for you and me today is this. Just keep sowing. Just keep sowing. Just keep sowing. The goal is long-term faithfulness. A long obedience in the same direction. Just keep plotting, just keep plotting, just keep plotting, just keep pursuing, keep pursuing, keep praying, keep praying, keep meeting people, keep engaging people, keep doing it. Whether you ever see the result or not. Now for a second, think about the parable of the sower. All of us know this story well. Some seed falls on the road, some among the thorns, some on the shallow ground, and we know that some of it grows and some of it doesn't. But what we don't usually pay attention to is that the sower is just sowing everywhere. Why are you sowing on pavement? That's a bad idea. Why are you throwing your seed into the thorns and thistles? That's not where crops grow. Well, that's... The point is, the the, the sower's job is simply to keep sowing. Now, all of us have people in our life where we think, well, that'll never work. Don't raise your hand, but I know. We have people in our life where we think, well, they seem kind of like me, 
and they seem normal because we all think we're normal. And they may be able to come to Jesus, but, but then you've got other people in your life that are in a different category where you think, man, these people have really big sins. And they're not like me at all. And I'm not going to waste my seed over there. Look, you're never going to run out of seed to sow. So just keep sowing. Just keep plotting. Just keep being faithful. Make it your aim to sow faithfully whether you ever reap fantastically or not. Now think of it. You would never eat physical food if all the farmers in this country gave up their sowing when they did not see the harvest the next day. Forget it. I'm out of this. I can't do this business anymore. I've been at this for like a week and there's nothing. No, they understand that it takes time. There's a delay. You must work hard and be patient and be faithful. You don't usually see success the first time you sow, but just keep sowing. So evangelism does not have to look like success. And lastly, third and final point, evangelism doesn't have to be a failure either. Certainly was not a failure here among the Samaritans. This woman was eager. She was ecstatic. She runs into town. Then the town comes out to meet Jesus, and they convince Jesus to stay there with them in verse 40. So Jesus stays for two days. And many believed the woman, and then many more believed after they met Jesus face to face. That's impressive. The fields really were white unto harvest. The sower and the reaper were rejoicing together. This was God at work. This was the day that the prophets foretold. Amos chapter 9 verse 13. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. Now, now think of the imagery there. The plowman and the reaper are fumbling all over each other, just like the one who sows the seed for the grapes and the one who treads out the grapes. The sowing and the reaping happening so fast and at the same time because God was doing an amazing work. And that is what was happening here with the Samaritans. That was God at work. And that is what we pray would happen in our homes, in our schools in our restaurants, in gyms, in, in, in baseball fields, in soccer fields, in basketball courts, in, in, in places of work. All you and I are responsible to do is to sow and sow and sow, and then we are to pray earnestly that God would send the rain and bring the fruit. Any success is up to the Lord. The power is in the gospel, and the results are up to God. So think about it. Think about your life, your family, your, your job, your dorm, your, your neighborhood, your coffee shop, your gym, your Facebook page, your prayer list. Are there any fields that look even a little white for harvest? Anything that you think, yeah, there might be an open door right there. Sometimes we spend so much time, so much energy trying to plan and to strategize that we forget to look around and say, Okay, what is God already doing? We need to look around and say, where are those opportunities? Why don't the harvest? Where are the doors swinging open for the gospel? 
Where do we need to go knock on some doors because doors surprisingly open when you just knock on them? Where is God already at work in your community and are you prepared to follow? Who would have thought that there would be this great harvest among the Samaritans? Not the Samaritans. And if the disciples got together, they would have never said, okay, here is strategy number one, Samaria. Now that was the last place on their mind. They would have thought, okay, first we've got to go get Jerusalem. Jerusalem is key. They are influential. We know Jerusalem. But lo and behold, God was at work in Samaria. Y'all, Jesus flipped tables over at the temple in Jerusalem. He said at the end of John 2 that he did not entrust himself to the crowds in Jerusalem. Nicodemus, in John 3, the Pharisee, he was not born again. But here in Samaria... People believe in Jesus. They were the first fruits of a fallen world returning to Jesus. This was God at work. This was success. And don't miss what the people say in verse 42. For we have heard for ourselves. Secondhand testimony is no substitute with the personal encounter with Jesus. And you may think, well, I, I wish we still had that. I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't that be awesome if Jesus could literally be here and people could meet him and hear from him? Well, don't you think people can still do that? Isn't that what we believe about this book right here? People can still meet Jesus. They can still hear the very words of Jesus. You can take him to your world, you can say, come and see. And it's even better now because if you wanted to meet Jesus then, you had to be right there in Samaria or Judea. Now by the Holy Spirit and by His Word, He can go anywhere. So church, it's up to us. Come and see. Show and tell. Go and speak. And remember, we're not introducing people to Reformed theology, or Sovereign Grace Ministries, or even CLF. No, no, no. The, the, the first goal, the only goal, the end goal, is always to introduce people to Jesus. Not a program, not a plan, a person. The Savior of the world. Do you know this Savior? And I have to ask that question because we're talking about witnessing to others. And perhaps you have not yet come to know Jesus. So have you seen him? Not visibly, but have you seen him in the pages of Scripture? Do you hear him calling? Have you been putting it aside, pushing it down, not dealing with it, not thinking about it, but week after week, you know it's Jesus speaking to you. Jesus through his word. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And in our story, we saw that in living color. He loves the world. He loves sinners. He sent his son to meet this Samaritan woman and to meet you. So the first question is, do you know him? The second question is, if you do, will you speak of him? Do you believe that God still saves people? 
But witnessing, though it may not look like success, it does not have to be a failure. I think our two biggest obstacles to evangelism for most of us are these. Number one, we do not have close relationships with non-Christians that we can easily share in a way that does not seem awkward. And then two, I think that deep down, we don't believe it actually ever really works. We kind of do it to be obedient. We do it to keep the pastor off our back or so that he can have some illustration or something, but we don't believe it actually works. But it does. God is at work. God is at work. Samaritans, people you know, are no worse than Samaritans. And they came out to see, and God saved them and did a work in them. It's not complicated. Let's not overcomplicate things. Let's not fit the stereotype of so many Reformed churches, whether the stereotype is true or not. And you know the stereotype? Reformed churches are all about the head and not the heart. They're good on doctrine, but they're not good about sharing their faith. Well, I say, let's just blow up that stereotype. Yes, we love the head, but we love the heart. Yes, we love theology, but we love lost people. Yes, we love to worship, and we love to share. Yes, we love to do Bible studies, and we love to hug some of us a little bit. So so be yourself. Be honest. Smile. Pray. Be intentional. Tell people about the hope that you have in Jesus. You have everything you need. Verse 39 assures you of that. Look at it. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. John 4.39 reminds you that you are equipped to go share the gospel. Meeting Jesus is all that is needed to be equipped to testify about the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. John 4.39 reminds you that knowing Jesus is all you need. Once you meet Jesus, that's all it takes to tell other people to look to Christ, to see who He is, and to hear what He has done. So, church, if you've met Christ, go and tell. You may not see any immediate fruit, but in a lifetime, together by the Spirit, In prayer, by his word, we may just see more that we can ask or imagine. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. God, I pray. That you would thank you, thank you for what you've done for us, Lord. Thank you for saving us, God. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you, Lord, for for setting us free from sin. Thank you, God, for for the work you're doing in each of our lives, Lord. Thank you, thank you for your Son Jesus. God, I pray 
that you would give us opportunities to go share Jesus with others. God, I pray for opportunities at home with our kids. I pray for opportunities at work. God, I pray for opportunities at school, at the gym. Lord, help us to see where the fields are white unto harvest. And give us uh, courage to go and tell. Whether we ever see a harvest or not, help us to be faithful sowers who just keep plotting every day of our lives, God. I pray for those people in our spheres of influence, God, who don't know Jesus, would you open up their heart to the gospel and give us those moments to engage them with Christ. I pray that you would settle our fears, God, our anxieties, Lord. All we're doing is telling people about the Jesus that we love. Help us to see that it's not complicated. And would you do this, God, for your glory. May we see a harvest in Roseburg, in Sutherland, in Glide, in Green, in Winston, Lord, of many people coming to know Christ. May what happened in Samaria happen here again, Lord. And may you be the one who does it, Lord. All we want to be is instruments in your hand, God. All we want to do is be faithful, God. All we want to do is go share what you've done with us, with other people, God. So use us, God. For your glory, God. And for the good of others. Thank you for this morning, Lord. Just uh, be with us as we respond now, God. Continue to do work in our hearts and in our lives today, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This sermon has been proudly given in response to cherishing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel and subscribe to watch all our sermons online. For more information about Covenant Life Fellowship, visit us on the web at www.clfroseburg.com.